we'll be uh, we'll begin the same way we began last time by Emir giving giving ourselves and Emir Tzishim all of us a bracha that this house continues to become a place which is filled with Baruch Hashem Simchas, Brisin, Shalom Zachars, Kid Kedushim. We had Shirim here, and Emir Tzishim should continue to spread. Emir Tzishim should continue to fill this home before it's filled with actually people living in here. Emir Tzishim once it's filled with people living in here, it should be continued to filled with Simcha and bracha. We, you know, what we've been doing every, every month, I think really since maybe Aula Tishra when we began, is really discussing the, the idea of the month. And really what we've been doing, especially in the months that have a Yandif in it, is we discuss the idea of the Yandif. The Yandif is obviously very heavily connected to the general idea of the, of the month. And especially since we didn't do this as close to Rosh Chedesh as, you know, at the beginning, we're already closer to Purim. So I think it's worthwhile to discuss the Yandif of Purim, which is a very, very, a very loaded Yantif. And sometimes a lot of things get lost in the shuffle. It's a very busy yantif. There's a lot of things that go on over the day between shalachmanas, between parties, between taking care of kids. Some people have to take care of the husbands. There's a lot of things that go on and it becomes, it's a day which really, without proper preparation, without proper knowledge of what the yantif is, it really can just, we can lose the whole yantif. It can just fly by. It's a very quick yantif. It doesn't, it's not a two-day yantif. It's a one-day yantif. And it, and it can really pass by in a breeze without us really being able to utilize it properly. And therefore, I think for sure already since the beginning of Rosh Chedesh Adar, it's worthwhile talking about the Yantif of Purim, discussing what the, idea, the ideas of Purim are, and hopefully being able to walk out with a lesson which will be relevant and hopefully very practical to all of us, not just on the day of Purim, but obviously like every Yantif, we want to get something out of the Yantif that we can then walk back into the rest of the year with. So again, there's a lot we can discuss on, on Purim, and it's, it's a loaded, loaded Yantif. I want to discuss two specific halachas that are probably the most interesting halachas that we find by Purim. We'll discuss both of them. And even though maybe perhaps not everybody in this room is noyeg either of these two halachas, but nevertheless, we'll see that how these two halachas really shed light onto the whole yantif of Purim. One halacha is the halacha, which is probably the, the oddest halacha, which we find not just on Purim, but probably in any yantif that we have, which is the halacha of chayev inish l'besume b'paraya adla yada. The Gemara Megillah very, famous, very famously tells us, Omar Rava, machayev inish l'besume b'paraya adla yada ben ar haman l'barach marche. That every person is machayev, every person is obligated. It's brought down in Shulchan Aruch like, the, like this. Every person is obligated to get drunk, to drink, until the point that they don't know the difference between ar haman and barach marche. Until those two ideas, which should be very obvious to all of us, become confused and we're not able to differentiate the difference between them. And it's something which is, it's the opposite of everything that we know about Yiddishkeit. Yiddishkeit is all about das. Yiddishkeit is all about knowledge. It's about ve'yidata hayoyim v'shavayse elavavecha. The Gemara Nedarim tells us, das kanisa ma'chasarta. Das chasarta ma'chanisa, which means das kanisa, if you are kind of das, if you acquire das, which is knowledge, ma'chasarta, you're not missing anything. Das chasarta, if you're missing knowledge, ma'chanisa, you haven't bought anything. Das is the fundamental idea of what it means to be a yid. The difference between an animal and a human is das, that people have intelligence, emotional intelligence, general intelligence, that's the difference between us and animals. And specifically, when we talk about Klal Yisrael, the crowning nation of the world, what, what defines us and what really, what really, what we take pride in is the fact that we're, the, we're a nation which has das, we're called the people of the book, we're people which are constantly involved in acquiring more and more knowledge. There's no limit to the amount of knowledge that we could acquire. And it's a funny thing that on Yantif, which is called Pur, on the Yantif of Purim, which is the highest Yantif that we have out of all the Yamim Tevim, right? the Tikkun Ezer very famously tells us that Yom Kippurim, that Yom Kippur is only like Purim. It's the highest Yantif. And what are we supposed to do? We're supposed to get rid of our das. Until a person loses his dust, it doesn't make any sense. It's the opposite of what it means to be a human. 
And for sure, the opposite of what it means to be a Yid. So, so why Dafka on Purim? Is there this concept of getting drunk? How does it fit into the context of what it means to be a human, to be a Yid? And specifically, why is it connected more to the Yantif of Purim than to any other Yantif? Now, again, even though perhaps, I don't, I don't think that anyone in this room is getting, is getting drunk. I don't think that's it's a... It's not something which women are naive to, but nevertheless, I think we've discussed before, either in this year, definitely discussed in the Shtiwa before, that the things that men are doing, the things that men, are, that men are required to do in terms of action, women are always doing in the way of panemius. So if a man's required to shake Lulav and Esrug, if a man's required to light the menorah, if a man's required to get drunk on Purim, if a man's required to do certain avodas, certain mitzvahs, and a woman's not required, it doesn't mean that a woman's not required because she doesn't have any shaykhs to that, to that item. On the contrary, a man needs to do something external, something physical, in order to be able to connect to that idea. And a woman is naturally connecting to that idea. So every person, every yid on Purim is connecting to this idea of chayiv inish And the question is, what, where does that idea fit within the context of what it means to be a human, and more specifically, what it means to be a yid, and how is it connected to the idea of Purim? That's one very odd halacha that we find, and again, it's halacha and shulchan aruch, and although the Ramah says you don't have to actually drink, you can go to sleep, but all of it, it's for the same purpose. Even if you're going to sleep, the Ramah says the reason why you go to sleep as opposed to drinking is that one loses their das, that when one's sleeping, they lose the state of conscious, they're in the state of unconscious, and in the unconscious world, they can't tell the difference between arahaman and baruch marchai. And the question is, why would we want to lose our das, something that's so integral to what it means to be a human? The other, the other idea we also find, which is a very odd halacha that we find in Purim, and again, it's born in the Ramah, this is born in Shulchan Aruch, this is not just a, a new, you know, a newly formed minig, which came over the past, you know, 100, 200 years, it's an old minig, is the idea of wearing costumes. And again, maybe not everybody over here, maybe as adults, we don't all wear costumes, but the concept of wearing costumes is an idea brought in, brought in halacha, it's brought in the Ramah, Tafresh Tzadi Zayin, that there's a concept that we wear costumes, maybe masks more than costumes, but there's a concept of covering ourselves over and disguising ourselves in another way. And on a simple level, the reason why we do it is because Hashem disguised himself through the world of Teva. Purim is different than every other nace, every other miracle that took place was Hashem revealing himself. And in Purim, there was no real revelation. Everything was hidden. The Rav Hashem hid himself through underneath the lavush, underneath the guise of Teva, of nature. Hashem hid himself within the story. We don't find the name of Hashem anywhere in the Megillah. And therefore, we're wearing costumes to somehow show that we're covering ourselves over. But there has to be something deeper than that. It, it, it's nice, obviously Hashem hid himself and it's, and it's something which, you know, it's not obvious to us that Hashem was, was involved in the Purim story if, as you're going through the story, only in hindsight you can see, but there has to be something deeper to why there's a concept of dressing up, why there's a concept of hiding ourselves and disguising ourselves specifically on the day of Purim more than any other day of the year. The rest of the year, we're not into this idea. The rest of the year, we want to show our true colors on the outside. We want to make sure teichet kabare, we want to make sure that our insides are like our outsides. We want to make sure that we, that which we portray to the world is who we really are, but Purim, we do the opposite. We dress up, we hide, our, we hide who we really are, we dress up like something that we're totally not, and we know that's not who we are, and that's the idea of Purim. The kids, the, even by the adults, it's this concept of dressing up and hiding who we are. What's, what, what's the panemius? What's the depth behind this, this mitzvah, this minig, since it's a mitzvah, this minig that we have specifically to dress up on Purim? So again, just to discuss the idea of getting drunk, losing das, and the idea of dressing up on Purim, and we'll see that really the idea we're gonna discuss well, really, fact, really, you know, we'll see how it really, it, it, it's the site, it's the foundation of what Purim is, and we'll see that it really, you find it so many times throughout the idea of Purim, the Yantif of Purim, the Megillah of Purim, this idea which we're going to discuss tonight.
We know that the Svarim HaKadoshim tell us that Amalek represents the idea of Suffolk, of doubt. Amalek is Gematria 240. Suffolk, the word Suffolk, which means doubt, is 240. And Amalek represents the idea of doubt. Most other nations of the world, what they represent is something evil. They represent something which is inherently evil. Mitzrayim represents the idea that we don't believe there's a Rabban Islam. Moshe Rabbeinu comes to Parah and says, it's time for me to take Klai Yisrael out of Mitzrayim. And Parah says, I never heard of Hashem. I don't know who this Hashem is. Never heard of him. He's not on my list of Avedezaras. I never heard of him. I have nothing to do with him. He totally denies the existence of Hashem. Amalek doesn't do that. Amalek creates doubt. He places seeds of doubt inside the hearts of people, inside the hearts of Klal Yisrael, that we begin to doubt, is there a Rabbani Shalom or is there not a Rabbani Shalom? The Pasuk says right before Amalek attacked us physically for the first time, the Pasuk says that Klal Yisrael asked themselves, Hayesh Hashem bekerbenu im ayin. Is there a Rabbani Shalom amongst us or is he not amongst us? Zakrashi, what happens right after the next Pasuk? Right away, as soon as we have that doubt, right away Amalek comes and attacks us. Because what Amalek does is Amalek doesn't deny the existence of Hashem. Amalek places doubt and questions inside of our hearts, inside of our neshamas that we don't have the ability to answer. Is there one Hashem here amongst us or is he not amongst us? But it's not just that doubt. Any doubt that a person has in anything ruchnius and anything spiritual is all rooted in the idea of Amalek. And that's why, this is why Amalek is gematria, is the numerical value of suffix, because this is the this is the tremendous challenge of what Amalek does. Amalek places doubt inside of, our, inside of our hearts. Anything that we don't know, that we're not certain about, that we have a question about, even if we're not fighting the physical, the physical battle of Amalek, but the internal battle of Amalek is that battle which we say we don't know. We don't know. Does the Rabbanishim really care about me? Is the Rabbanishim really involved in the intimate details of my life? Does the Rabbanishim really taking care of me? Does it really matter to the Rabbanishim if I do this mitzvah or don't do this mitzvah? Does it really matter to the Rabbanishim whether I do this or don't do this? Who cares? All of those questions, that doubt, not when we say the Rabbanishim doesn't care, but the, the, the seed of doubt that Amalek places inside of us causes us to question everything, that we don't know anything. And we start questioning things. Is it real or is it not real? Is Yiddishkeit matter or does it not matter? Does it really matter if, I, if I'm involved in Yiddishkeit the way I should be or does it not matter? Is the Rabbanishim involved in every detail of my life? Does Rabbanishim care about me like an only child or not? All of that doubt that we have is all rooted in the place of Amalek. Naturally, we would think that the best way to fight Amalek and the best way to fight this doubt and these questions which, which, plague, which plague us constantly, the questions which come from the world of Amalek, which is doubt, naturally we would think that the best way and the easiest thing to do when you have questions is to get answers. If a person has questions, internal doubts, internal questions, things that are bothering them, the best thing to do is to talk to somebody or learn something or listen to a shir and try to find out what are the answers to the questions I have. I have a lot of questions. I have a list of 15, 20 questions, things that are bothering me, things that I don't know, existential questions that are really plaguing me. And I want to figure out how to get rid of the questions. So naturally we say the best way to get rid of questions is to get answers. And therefore one would think that the best way to fight a malik it's not by ignoring the questions. We don't want to ignore the questions. We understand that they're real questions. We would think that the best way to fight Amalek is to answer all of the questions. Amalek asks us questions. Is there a bunch of here? Does he care about me? Do the things I do matter? Is Yiddishkeit for real? Is the Torah for real? Is all of this for real? Amalek causes us to ask questions. And we would think that the best and easiest way and the way that we fight Amalek is by answering all the questions. But the Swarm explained to us that that's not the way you fight Amalek. Because Amalek doesn't ask questions which there are answers to the questions. Amalek causes us to ask questions, which there are no answers to the questions. Moshe Rabbeinu asked the Rabbanisham one of those questions. Moshe Rabbeinu asked the Rabbanisham tzaddik viraloi, rasha v'tayvla. Rabbanisham, why did you create a world in which there are righteous people that are suffering? 
And there are people that are wicked that are doing well. Rush of a, this is the ultimate question. Moshe Rabbeinu's question. Eve asked the same question. Rabbi Hashem, why did you create people that are good, that are suffering, and you create people that are people that are Rishon, people that are doing clearly evil things, and everything's good for them. They're living the good life. Those are questions that we don't have an answer to. The Rabbi Hashem told Moshe Rabbeinu, I can't answer that question. It's a question which there is no answer that you will be able to understand. The way that we fight a Amalek's doubt is not by ignoring the question, and it's not by answering the question. It's by recognizing that there are questions which have no answers to. And there are things that we have, questions that we have, there are doubts that we have that we're never gonna get the answer to. Rabbi Nachman writes a pel de gazach. Rabbi Nachman writes a fascinating thing. Rabbi Nachman writes, We all have questions. Rabbi Nachman writes, We all have questions on Hashem. Murgulo bapuma loimar. Rabbi Nachman would constantly say, we think that that's a chasaran. We think that's a lack. We think that there's something wrong, that there's something about the Rabbi Hashem. I don't, I don't understand. That there's a Russia who, have, who has things that are going well. There's a tzaddik who's suffering. And we think that that's a question. We have a question. We all saw the pictures. The elephant was talking about this on by the Kiddush and Shabbos day. We saw the pictures of these two boys that were murdered Friday, Friday night, two weeks ago in, in Yerushalayim. And, and people have questions. Rabbi Hashem, why would you do this to these beautiful children that were killed? And Rabbi Nachman says that one would think that that's a chasarin. That's a question that we need to get an answer to. Zakter Nachman Adarabba. Kach Roy Lias Daika. We have questions, and it's, we are supposed to have questions on the Rabbanish Lalam that we don't have an answer to. She Akushis Allah Shemizbarh, Vechay Na, Viyafal Loy Izbarach, Lefigat Lusev Ramuse. It's beautiful. It's beautiful and fitting that we have questions on the Rabbanish You know why? Because if we would have all the answers to all of the questions that we had on the Rabbani Shalom, then that means that the Rabbani is not any greater than all of us. That we're able to understand everything he does. Maybe he's more powerful than us, but his das is not any greater than us. His knowledge is not any greater than us. His, he's able to, we're able to understand every one of the moves that he does. And we're able to understand what this person's suffering, this person's doing well, then that means that we're able to understand the, the, the mind of the Rabbani Shalom, that means that the Rabbani is not greater than us. Rabbi Nachman says, It has to be that every one of us has questions on the Rabbani Shalom that we don't have answers to. And it's not a chasarn. It's not something that we have to shy away from and say, we're going to ignore the questions. And it's not something that we have to answer. We have to say, we know that we have questions. We know that we have doubts. We know that there are things that we don't know the answer to. And we're comfortable with the questions because that proves that the Rabbani Shalom's das, the Rabbani Shalom's knowledge, the Rabbani Shalom's way of running things is greater than we can ever wrap our heads around. Like the Navi says, Ki My machshava, the Rabbani Shalom says, my way of thinking is not the way you think. It's not the way a human thinks. So as great as, as, great as we can be, as much as we can know, we have to understand there has to be questions on Hashem Isbarach that we don't have the ability to be able to understand. He says, The Baruch is greater than our Das. It's impossible. It's impossible that we, in our own Seich, and our own knowledge, will be able to understand everything the Rabbani Shalom does. There has to be when we have questions on the Rabbani Shalom, the things that plague us and things that we don't understand, we don't have to shy away from them and say, the fact that we have questions means that the Rabbani Shalom is not real or it means that there's something that, that's wrong with the Rabbani Shalom. No, there are questions that we have, there are difficulties, there are challenges that we have in Amuna, 
And Rav Nachman says, it's yafa. it's beautiful that we have those difficulties and those questions because it means that we can't wrap our head around everything that Rav Hashem is doing. The Rav is greater and higher and more lofty than anything any human, including Maishu Rabbeinu, including Shleimah HaMelech, who is Chacham Mikol Adam, the Rav is greater than all of that. And therefore we have questions. If his Anhaga would be the way we understood, then the Rabbanisham is no greater than every one of us. The Rabbanisham may be more powerful, but that wouldn't mean that the Rabbanisham is greater and his das is just like our das. If we could understand the workings of the way the Rabbanisham works, then that means that, that the Rabbanisham's das is not any greater than us, and that would be a chesorin in the Rabbanisham if we don't have any questions. And the Melo Nachman reveals to us that the fact that we have questions, the fact that we have doubts, the fact that we don't understand the question that Moshe Rabbeinu was plagued with and Eev was plagued with, which is why Rosh Vatoivloi, Tzadik Viraloi, or why is Hayesh Hashem Berkebenu Amayin, is not a chesorin. It doesn't mean that there's something wrong with the Rabbanisham, on the contrary. It means that there's something beyond us that we don't have the ability to understand. The Katzka Rebbe said one time, he told somebody, he said, he said, I would never want to serve a Rabbanisham that I'm capable of understanding. Because if I can understand him, why would I serve him? If I can wrap my head around everything that he does, so why would I want to be mavatal my das to him? Why would I want to subjugate myself to him if I can understand everything he's doing? If I can figure out, you know, the, the person who's the greatest, wealthiest person, I can figure out every move he's doing in business, so then I would be that person. LMI, I can't understand that person who's so great and so wealthy because obviously he has a brain which works differently than me. And he's obviously smarter than me and he's able to figure out and think in ways that I can't think. And Kavayachal, when it comes to the Rabbanisham, it's the same thing. It's not a problem that we have sveikas, we have kashas. This is part of what it means to be a human, is that we have doubts, we have questions, we have uncertainties. And the Rabbanisham says that's the way it's meant to be, is that there's a difference. That I'm the Rabbanisham and all the way up there, and there are things that we don't have, we humans don't have the capability to understand. So a Malik attacks us and Amalek puts seeds of doubt into our hearts. And when we allow those doubts to, to plague us and we allow those doubts to grow and to blossom into being full-fledged doubts, which cause us to stop and to say, we either have to ignore the question or we have to somehow try to figure out how to answer the question, then Amalek's winning the war against us. Then Amalek's attacking us in a way that we start to lose the war. Then right away Amalek attacks us and fights with us. But when we understand that Amalek, Amalek tells us that there are sveikis, there are doubts, and we tell Amalek, we don't have a problem. We're willing to listen to every doubt that you have and willing to listen to every question that you have. And we know that there are questions inside of us that we don't have the answer to and we're comfortable. We embrace the questions because we understand that having questions means that we're human, then that's the way we battle Amalek. And this is what the secret of Purim is. The secret of Purim is not ignoring the questions and it's not answering the questions. Perhaps the rest of the year we're involved in answering questions or maybe perhaps trying to push the questions out of our conscious so we're able to go on. On Purim, we come to the place where we're totally comfortable with the questions that we have because we understand that, that what's, that's what it means to be human and not to be godly. That there's a Rabbanisham which is greater and loftier than us and, and we can't wrap our heads around the tiniest drop of the way the Rabbanisham runs the world and therefore we're incapable of understanding everything. This is what the Svarim call so uh, this is from called Tachlis HaYediyah, the, the ultimate pinnacle of all knowledge, Shaloi Neida. The pinnacle of all knowledge is the knowledge that you don't know anything. We would think that the pinnacle of knowledge means the, great, the more knowledge you have, the, 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 more, you, the more you know. The Smarma Gadoshim tell us Tachlis HaYediyah, the ultimate purpose of getting to all knowledge is to know that you don't know anything, which means the following thing. Now, I'm reading right now, they just came out with a book about Rebchaim Kanievsky, the biog biography about Rebchaim Kanievsky. 
if I open a daf kamara, if I know, if I open a black kamara and I look at the black kamara, I know that I don't know everything on the page. As much as I can spend time, I can spend an hour or two. I know that I don't know everything because I haven't learned everything in the in, on the black kamara. I haven't learned everything in the chumash. I haven't learned everything, and therefore I know that I don't know everything that there is to say about the about the black kamara about the pasuk in front of me. But Reb Chaim Kanievsky also knows that he doesn't know everything. But not from the same place I know that I don't know everything. He's learned, you know, and he spent every, every year of his life finishing Kola Terakula, and he got to the place where he realized that as much as he can learn every Sefer that's ever come out, he realizes that I, don't, I still don't know anything. So there's two ways that you can know nothing. You can know nothing because you haven't begun the process of learning. So a fifth grader who opens a Gemara for the first time, or a little, a little kid who just learns how to read the Kudis and just learns how to read the girl knows that she knows nothing. She knows that she's just figuring out how to, how to piece together two, two letters, three letters, four letters, how to piece them together to create words. She knows that she doesn't know and understand and can't translate the words that are there. That's one level, one level of not knowing. But the ultimate tachlas the ultimate level of knowledge is that the more that you learn, the more that you know, the more you realize you know nothing. Because as much as you grow in your knowledge of the Rabban Islam, and in your knowledge of Torah, and in your knowledge of spirituality of Ruchnius, the more you realize that it's never ending. The Rabban Islam's ain't safe, the Rabban Islam's infinite, and therefore the more I grasp of the Rabban Islam, the more I realize that I don't know nothing. So we can all sit here today and say that we don't know anything about the way the Rabban Islam runs the world. Somebody who's a Makubal, somebody who's been learning Kabbalah for 20, 30 years, who spends time you know, in Zayra Kaddish, and Kisve Ari, and in the Rashash, who really understands a little bit more the way the Rabban Hashem interacts with the world, will be able to tell you on a greater level that he knows nothing about the way the Rabban Hashem runs the world. Because as much as he's learned, as much as he's gained in terms of his knowledge, he knows that that the more he knows, the more he realizes that I, I just keep, I haven't even scratched the surface because I'm learning and learning and learning and I'm realizing that, that it's infinite. It's so much more than I think I can do. Right? In a very simple muscle, if you have a, a kid who just learned how to, how to understand math. So the kid knows, I don't really know math. I know maybe, maybe I, can, I can add, I know maybe subtraction, but I don't know how to multiply. I don't know the multiplication table. I don't know something that's, I definitely don't know What's that? Uh, trigonometry. I definitely don't know things that are beyond. I know very little. I can add numbers. Somebody who's a mathematician, they understand that as much as they know, there's so much more in the world of math to know because as much as they know, there's people greater than them that know even more. So the little kid knows that he knows nothing and, and the mathematician knows that they know nothing because there's so much more to do, but it's a different type of knowing nothing. The ultimate knowledge, specifically when it comes to the Rabbanu Shalom, is tachlas that the more I know about the Rabbanisham, the more I realize that I don't understand everything. I don't understand anything because as much as I'm trying to grasp and understand the Rabbanisham, I start to realize that it's infinite and the Rabbanisham's ways are, are beyond anything that I can imagine and it's ain't safe, it's infinite wisdom. So I'm learning and learning and learning and growing and getting a deeper and deeper connection and relationship to Hashem and I realize that it just keeps going. It never ends. And I realize that as much as I can know, Ultimately, I come to the place where I tell Amalek, I don't know. I don't know. And I'm comfortable saying that I don't know because as much as I do know, I realize that there's so much more that's impossible for me to ever be able to figure out. Right? Every bracha, we really do this. When we make a bracha, we really, we really, Tzaddik talks about this, that every time we make a bracha, we really, really say this. We say a bracha, you say, Baruch Atta Hashem. Baruch Atta Hashem means Atta, means that referring to the Rabbanisham in first person. We talk to the Rabbanisham directly, Baruch Atta, which means that somehow we understand that we have some grasp of the Rabbanu they were able to talk to him in first person, Baruch Atta. What do we say at the end of every bracha? At the end of every bracha, we switch from talking in first person to talking about the Rabbanu in third person. 
For example, you make a shahakal. Baruch Atta Hashem, blessed are you Hashem. We're referring to him in first person. And then what do we say? Shahakal Nia, that everything was created bidvaroi with his word. Not with your word, with his word. Right? Hamoitzi Lechem and Aretz. He who takes bread out of the ground. We don't refer to Hashem in first person anymore. Now we're referring to Hashem in third person. Boire Prihagafen. He who creates, not you create. He who creates. The, 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 the geffen, the, the grapes that are in front of me that created the wine or grape juice in front of me. Rav Tzaddik says, because as soon as you say you know something about the Rabbanu Shalom, as soon as you start gaining knowledge, you realize right away that, wait a second, I have to back up. And I realize that as much as I think that I, I've gained some sort of hasaga, some sort of understanding of the Rabbanu Shalom, I realize how far I really am. So we begin a bracha by referring to Hashem in first person. And then right away we back up. We say, Rabbanu Shalom, we think that we understand you a little bit. And we realize that there's so much more that we're incapable of understanding. This is the way that we fight a malik. We don't fight a malik by answering questions. We fight a malik with the recognition that we're incapable of knowing anything. That as much as we know, we're never going to get to the place where we say we have all the answers. Like Rabbi Nachman said, It has to be that there are going to be unanswered questions from Moshe Rabbeinu, from Shloyma HaMelech, and from every one of us, questions that we don't have the answer to. And instead of ignoring the questions, and instead of trying to answer all the questions, we say, that we're comfortable understanding that we don't have the ability to answer the questions. If you think about the ultimate food that Klal Yisrael ever ate, was the ultimate food that Klal Yisrael ever ate, was the man. Klal Yisrael ate in the Midbar, they ate the man. What does the word man mean? So if you look at the Pasuk, what does the word man mean? Klal Yisrael, when they, when they discovered the man, they asked Moshe Rabbeinu, Ma, man who, what is it? And Moshe Rabbeinu said, this is the bread that Hashem told you. So how do you call the bread that Klal Yisrael ate? It's called man. Man means what is it? So on a simple level, you call it that because it, it had nothing, right? It could taste like whatever you want. It didn't really have a form. It had the capability to be anything. But on a much deeper level, the Svasanas explains, it's called man because the Chazal explained to us that the man was the bread that the malachim ate. The, the bread is, the man is called lechem abirim. It's the bread which is eaten by malachim. Malachim are the ones that are capable of understanding that as much as they know, they don't know anything. They have greater knowledge of the Rabban Hashem than we do. They're closer, so to speak, to Hashem, but they also realize that as close as they can be, they know nothing because they're, they have a greater level of yidiyah but that idea, that knowledge only leads them to knowing that they don't know anything. So the bread that the malachim eat is called what? It's called what is it? Because that's what real bread of malachim means. And that's what every yid is trying to get to, to the place where we can, we can be comfortable saying, Manu, we don't know. And we don't have the answers. And Moshe Benner says, I don't have the answers either. What is it? What is, the, what is the existence? I don't know. But that's the beauty of what it means to be a yid. The generation that ate the man is called the Dardea. They're the generation of knowledge. Yet at the same time, they're eating something that they don't even know what it is. And they're eating the food that the malachim eat because ultimately they got to the place where they realized that as much as they knew, they were the ones that stood by Harsinai. They had the greatest revelation of Hashem ever. They stood by Kriyas Yamsaf. They saw their Hashem reveal himself. But they saw the greatest miracles. And they understood that as much as they knew, as much as they grasped, who they knew absolutely nothing. That's the way you fight Amalek. You don't fight Amalek by answering questions. You fight Amalek by becoming comfortable with the fact that we have questions that we don't have answers to. This is what the secret, the secret of, of Purim is all about. This is why on Purim we drink, and again, whether we drink or don't drink, but this is why the Yisoy, the secret of Purim, is to get to the place of Adaloyada until we lose knowledge. It doesn't mean that you lose knowledge. You, you get to the place where you become like animalistic and you become to the place where you lose all knowledge and now you go underneath knowledge. On Purim, we get to the place where we tell ourselves we don't need knowledge. We don't know, Rabban Hashem, why sometimes the people that are Marchai are suffering 
And the people that are Haman, the people that are wicked, are actually doing very well. Haman was doing great before he, before he got put on the gallows. Haman was doing well. Mordechai was all the way beaten. Esther was beaten. Everything, they were spiritually beaten. And we don't have the answers to it. And in Purim, we get drunk to the point of saying, Rabbi we don't need answers. Rabbi a comfortable saying that we have questions, that we don't have das, we don't have the knowledge to be able to answer because we realize that as much as we know, we don't know anything. And we drink to the point where we lose all knowledge till we say, Rabbi we don't know anything. This is why Chazal tell us that Haman is hinted to. Chazal asks us, Haman min minayin. Where do you find the name Haman hinted to in Chamisha Chamshetera? The Gemara tells us, Haman min minayin, Hamina eights. That when it came to eating from the Eitzadas, Hamin, which means from the, from the tree, is the letters Hey, Mem, Nun, and that is the idea of Haman. Why is Haman represented by Eitzadas? Because Eitzadas means that Adam and Chava wanted knowledge of the Rabbani Shalalam. The Nachash told him, the snake told him, if you eat from the tree, of Eitzadas Tevra, you'll understand everything. And you'll be able to be like Hashem. You'll be able to be as great as Hashem. You'll be able to understand the workings of Hashem. And you'll be able to figure everything out. That's Haman. Haman says, eat from the tree and you'll have all the answers that you need. All of the questions, all the doubts, everything that you don't understand will be answered. That's what it means to eat from the Eitzadas Tevra. The way you, way you wipe out Haman is Adol Yada. We don't want to be connected to the world, which is called Eitz Hadas Taivara, to the tree of knowledge. We want to be connected to the tree, which is called Eitz Hachayim, the tree of life, which means I'm connected to the Rabban Hashem. I don't have all the answers, but I know that I'm being taken care of by the Rabban Hashem. Like Adam and Chava in Gan before they ate from the Eitz Hadas, they don't have answers. And the Nachash told him, you'll get answers. They should have told the Nachash. This is what every one of us need to tell the Nachash. We don't know. We don't have the answers, but we don't need the answers. We're comfortable with the questions that we have, and we're comfortable being connected to the Eitzachayim, to the tree of life, which will give us the ability to be connected to the Rabbani Shalom constantly in a way, in a way that being connected to the Eitzadas will never give us, will never give us all of the answers that we need. That's why you find, for example, we mentioned this earlier, that the name of Hashem is not mentioned even one time in the Megillah Esther. The name of Hashem is not mentioned once. There's many Ramazim to it, many hints to it, but the name is not mentioned once. Why? Because what does the name of Hashem mean? The name of Hashem means that we understand to some extent the way that Rabban Hashem is acting with this world. The names of Hashem obviously don't mean the essence of Hashem, but it means the way that Rabban Hashem is interacting with the world. The name Elikim means the name of Midas Adin. That's when there's a strict judgment taking place. The name of Yud Kevavke is a name of chesed. So it means that we have some grasp of the way that Rabban Hashem is interacting with the world. When it comes to Megillah's Esther, when it comes to Purim, we say, Rabban Hashem, we don't know anything. We can't even say what your name is, not because you're hiding yourself, but because we realize that saying your name means that we somehow have some grasp of the way you're interacting, the way you're, the way you're, the way you're running the world. On Purim, we get to the place where we say, Rabban Hashem, we know absolutely nothing. We don't know what your name is. We don't understand any way that you're interacting with the world, and we're comfortable with that. It doesn't bother us that we have a suffolk, it doesn't bother us that we have a doubt. We have questions and we don't know the answer to the questions, but we become comfortable with the fact that we have questions. Esther Amalko, and Esther's in the palace, this is fascinating. Esther's in the palace and Mordechai Atzadik tries to get Esther to go into Achashverosh. And Esther says, I'm scared to go into Achashverosh because I don't know if I go in without being called, if he's gonna, you know, put out the royal scepter, I'm gonna to be totally killed. Maybe I'm gonna be you know, wiped out. You can't just walk into the king's palace whenever you want. You can't walk into his chambers if you want, whenever you want. I have to be called in and I haven't been called in 30 days. Says Mordechai, what does Mordechai Yitzhak say? Who knows? Who knows if this was the very reason why you became the queen? And the question is obvious. Mordechai is not sure. 
He's not sure if this is the reason why she became the queen. Isn't this the most obvious thing in the world? Here it was. Esther Amalka got taken, got taken in the worst way. She got kidnapped and got taken to, and got taken to be forced to become the, the wife of Ahasuerus. This is the worst punishment that she could have ever had. Now she has the opportunity to be the spokeswoman for all of Klal Yisrael. And what does Mordechai Tzadik say? He doesn't say, I know that this is the reason why you were chosen. What does he say? Mi yoidea, who knows? Maybe this is the reason that you were chosen. What does he tell her? This is obvious to me and obvious to every one of us that look at the story that this is the reason why you were chosen to be the queen because now you're in a position where you could stand up and save the Jewish people. That's not what Mordechai Tzadik says because Mordechai understands that you don't beat Haman and you don't beat Amalek by saying, I have clarity. And this is why things are taking place. All Mordechai says is, mi yoidea, I don't know, maybe. Maybe this is the reason that you're there. I have uncertainty, I have doubt. Things are not clear to me, but maybe this is the reason why you were put there. As soon as Mordechai Tzadik says, Mi he says, maybe, and he says, I have doubt, but I'm comfortable with the fact that I have doubt and I don't have certainty. I can't tell you, Esther Amalka, that this is the reason why you were there. So then we're able to wipe out Haman, we're able to wipe out Amalek. If Mordechai Tzadik would say, this is it, I know why you were set up, I understand the way the Ramanisham is setting up this whole chess game and you're put here for a specific reason, so then you're falling into the trap of Amalek, which says, but then there's gonna be another question that you're not gonna be able to answer. Mordechai Tzadik understands that the way you fight Amalek is you say, Mi who knows, I don't know, maybe this is the reason why you're here, maybe. Mordechai Tzadik understands the secret of being able to say maybe, being able to have doubt, being able to be uncertain, and being comfortable with the fact that I'm, to- that I'm totally uncertain. This is, this, is why, this is why you find that the mazel of Adar, we said we'll talk a little bit about the month of Adar, the mazel of Adar is Dagen. Everybody knows, even if you don't know the mazel of most other months, when it comes to the mazel of Adar, you know, everybody knows that the mazel of Adar uh, is Dagen, is fish. The Medrash tells a fascinating thing, and anybody who's been fishing or knows anything about fishing knows that this is true. The Medrash tells us that fish have a very, do something very interesting. That when it rains, the fish jump out of the water to try to catch the drops of rain that come out. Anyone who's gone fishing knows that the best time to go fishing is right after, either while it's raining or right after it rains, because that's when all the fish are coming to the surface. And the Medrash tells us why do fish do this? Because fish are swimming in a, in a sea of water. They jump up out of the water to catch some new drops of rain that are coming down. That's what fish do, that's, a natu- that's the nature of fish. They jump out of water when it's raining. That's the secret of Purim. <laughs> Why is that the mazal of Adar? The mazal of Adar is fish? Because a fish represents everything we're talking about. A fish is surrounded by water. He's surrounded, and water is called meadas, it's called waters of knowledge. A fish is surrounded by everything. But what does the fish do? The fish understands that as much as I know, I know that I don't know anything. And there's always something new to be able to acquire. So I could be surrounded by water, but I understand that there's always new levels to be able to acquire. So the fish jumps out because it says, there's something new that's coming down. There's something new that I want to attach myself to. And as much as I can say, I have everything I need, I realize that there are certain things that are beyond the surface, certain things that are beyond me that I don't have the capability to actually have right now. And I want to jump up to acquire something new. I want to get something that I don't have now because I don't have all the answers. A fish represents this holy doubt, this Suffolk, which, um, which we wipe out our Malik with, is where we say we don't have all the answers, we don't know, but I wanna, I'm always looking for something new because I realize that as much as I have, there's more levels to gain because the, my level of knowledge and of relationship with the Rabbanisham is infinite and keeps growing and growing beyond anything that I'm capable of understanding. And that's the way we fight a Malik. This is why also the other thing that a Malik does besides for placing doubt inside of our hearts, is Amalek creates kredris, Amalek creates coldness. Asher Karcha Baderech, the Pasuk says that what Amalek did, uh, what Amalek did is, Amalek cooled us down. We left Mitzrayim, we had Kriyas Yamsuf, we were at the height, we're at the pinnacle of what it means to be a Yid, that all the nations of the world were afraid of us. Amalek comes along and says, 
you're not so special. Your relationship with Hashem is not so spe- not so special. The fact that you do mitzvahs and you're careful about you're careful about who you are is not so special. The fact that you're shame or you're piv, you're careful not to speak lashonara is not so special. What a malik does is a malik tries to cool down our relationship with the rabbanu shalom. Why does our relationship with Hashem get cool get cooled down? Because if we think that our relationship with the Rabbani Shalom is the same way that it was yesterday, and it was a year ago, and it was two years ago, so that relationship becomes old and stale. If we think, and this is what Amalek does to us, that when we open a Siddur to Davin, we, when we open a Tehillim to Davin, we light Neiris on Friday night, when we eat Tehillah Shab- on Shabbos, that it's the same Neiris that we lit last week, and it's the same Shabbos that we lit last week, and it's the same Tzedakah that we gave yesterday, and it's the same Tehillim and, and, and Shachris that we davened yesterday, so then it becomes old and it becomes stale and we lo- it loses all of its passion and all of its heat because I'm just doing the same thing for years and decades at a time. So it becomes queerous, it becomes cold. When we understand this secret of that as much as we know, we know we know nothing. So we understand that as much as I understand about Shabbos, this infinite amount of, of knowledge that I can learn about Shabbos that I don't know yet. As much as I understand about the Siddur, about davening, there's so much more that I'm capable of understanding and learning that I don't know yet. So what Amalek does is Amalek gives us doubt. The way we fight the doubt of Amalek is by saying we know nothing. And when we're able to say honestly to ourselves that we know nothing, that we're able to understand that we're capable of constantly deepening and constantly, and constantly strengthening our relationship with Hashem because it's not the same as it was yesterday. And it's not the same as it was a year ago. And every Shabbos is a brand new Shabbos and every day is a brand new day and every opportunity to do a mitzvah is not a continuation of the same thing because I can grow in my knowledge of mitzvahs, I can grow my knowledge of relationship to the point of ain't safe to an infinite amount of levels to be able to grow and grow and grow. It's, it's, it's infinite capabilities. Amemela, Kriris, the coldness of Amalek comes from saying, we know, we know what we know what davening looks like, we know what Shabbos looks like, we know what tzedakah looks like and the way that we fight that is that we say we don't know, that as much as we know, we know we know nothing. And as much as we have, much as much as the knowledge we've acquired may be, we know that there's so much more to be able to gain. And our relationship with Hashem, as great as it is, we know that we're not done. Just because we've hit, you know, our adult, our adult years, we say we're not done with with creating a real genuine relationship with Hashem, it goes and goes and goes, and it's infinite until the day we die, we're gonna be able to create a deeper and more meaningful relationship with Hashem. So Amalek makes it cold by saying, it's just the same old thing. Everything's the same, it's old, it's stale, it's not fresh. And we say, of course it's fresh. Because you, Amalek, look at everything as saying, oh, you have to understand it. So you understand it, and once you understand it, then you're done. Then you've reached the, you've reached the, the pinnacle, you've reached the height of what this idea means, and then it becomes old and stale. You've already gotten all the knowledge that you need, and then it becomes old and stale. We tell Amalek, we understand that we'll never get to the point where we know everything. And therefore everything's new and everything's fresh and everything's exciting because we're growing and growing and growing in our knowledge of what we're involved in. This is really the secret of what the whole idea of Purim is. Again, Adolo Yada doesn't just mean you lose knowledge, it means you recognize that there are things that I'll never be able to understand and I'm growing and constantly growing and deepening my relationship with Hashem because I realize that as much as I know, I know that I know nothing. This is why we find that there's a concept of laughter, specifically when it comes to Adar, specifically when it comes to Purim. There's a tremendous amount of simcha that takes place. Halachically, it's like this, this idea of tzchik, of laughter. What does laughter mean? Laughter means that something happened that was unexpected. That's when we laugh. We laugh is when there's a joke and we think that, you know, the story's supposed to go one way and it makes, it veers off to the right and it, you know, takes a total right turn and we start laughing. When we think something's supposed to happen, you're watching, you know, a clip and you, you, you know, you know the way the clip is supposed to end and then it just, everything becomes different than it's supposed to be. That's what comedy is. Comedy is where we, we can, we sort of, we sort of, we think that we can predict the end 
And then we realize that, oh, things didn't turn out the way that we wanted. And then we end up laughing. Laughter means that I'm open to understanding that things are not exactly the way they're supposed to be. And I don't know what the end of the result is. I don't know what the end of the story is. Sarah Imain was the first woman, the first person that we find laughing in the Torah. Sarah Imain laughs because she said, I'm done giving birth. I'm done having children. And then Sarah laughs and she says, wow, I, I didn't think that I was capable of giving, of giving birth to children. And now I realize that I can have children. So Sarah laughs because the outcome is not the way that she thought it was. Thought it was. Laughter means that we're open to being able to see that the outcome is not exactly the way we think it should go. They were able to say, Rabbi Hashem, we don't have all the answers. We don't know how the story is gonna end. Like Esther Amalka and Mordechai Tzadik, we said, Rabbi Hashem, we're stuck in a terrible story, but we're comfortable saying, Rabbi Hashem, we have questions, we're stuck in a difficult situation, and we don't know how the story is gonna end, and therefore we're ready and we're open to laugh, because we're ready to say that the story is not gonna end the way we think it's gonna end, because we don't have all the answers, we don't know what the last chapter in the book is. We're waiting to be able to see the way the Rabban Shem writes the end of the story. And when a person's curious and remains open and remains excited to be able to see what the Rabban Shem is creating, that's where laughter comes in. This is the secret of Purim. Again, secret of Purim is Adla Yada. To be able to say there are svekas, there are doubts. We all have doubts. Am I doing the right thing? Am I not doing the right thing? Is this what Hashem wants me? Is not what Hashem wants me? Is Hashem involved in my life? Does, does Hashem care if I do this mitzvah? Don't. All of those doubts that we're able to have. Do I really understand what Shabbos is? Do I really understand what a Suda Shabbos is? Do we understand what a davening is? We're not understanding all of those doubts that we have. We say, Rabban Hashem, we understand that we have doubts and questions because we understand that as much as we know, we know that we know nothing and we'll never be able to wrap our heads totally around that level of complete knowledge of the way that Rabban Hashem runs the world. And therefore, the, the Yantif of Purim is about losing your das in order to be able to acquire something that's higher than das, which is tachlis hayadiyah, the pinnacle of knowledge, is to be able to tell ourselves comfortably, I don't know, I don't have the answers. I remember somebody came to speak in Morty Shtilo a few months ago, and he told me, he was giving me a bracha when he was leaving. He said, I give you a bracha that every time you don't have the answer, when people ask you difficult questions, people ask you questions about life and how they should, you're able to tell, you're able to tell them, I don't know. He said, I give you a bracha that you should be comfortable telling people constantly, I don't know. And you should be able to be silent when you don't have the answers to answer people. And, and at the time, it was like a very, it was an out of character bracha. Wasn't, I've gotten brachas from a lot of people. I've never heard that bracha before. But it, this is what Purim is. Purim is to be able to say, I don't know. I don't have all the answers. And to be able to tell ourselves, to tell our children, we don't have all the answers. We don't know. Because we're open to be able to see that there's change, that there's more knowledge, there's more to learn. There's more that's taking place than we think. And the Mela, we're open to be able to see everything that the Rabban Hashem has in store for us and everything the Rabban Hashem is creating for us. And we don't know the end of the story. There's doubts, there's questions. Rosh Tzadik And we say, Rabban Hashem, we're comfortable. Like Rabban Hashem said, It has to be that there are questions and it's it's beautiful that we have questions on Hashem. We don't have to shy away from them. We don't have to ignore them. We don't have to be embarrassed about the questions, but we don't either need to get answers to every question that we have. It's tachlas the pinnacle of knowledge is to know that we don't know anything. And just to end off with one more point, which I think is important for us to, to understand, and it goes back to the idea of wearing costumes. This is all when it comes to our relationship between us and the Rabban Shalom, between Adam Lamakim. The same thing is true on a scale of Adam Lechaveri. If we think that we know the people around us, so then all of our relationships become old and stale, and, and there's nothing new in the relationship. Whether it's a husband and wife, whether it's parents and children, whether it's us, us with our parents, us with our friends, if we think we know everything about the person that, we're, that we have a relationship with, so the relationship becomes old and stale. We know them, we know everything they have to say, we know the way they work, we know the way, we know the way they operate. There's nothing new to do. And then the relationship becomes 
old. It becomes stale. It, there's nothing to it. There's no chiyas to it. There's no eschatches. There's nothing new in the relationship because there's nothing new. To, there's nothing new in the relationship. I can't laugh in the relationship because nothing's going to surprise me. I can finish the sentence. I can finish the end of every person that I know that I know around me sentence. So th- there's nothing exciting. Why would I want to be around somebody? Why would I want to have a relationship with somebody when I can figure out what they're going to say? I know exactly the way they operate. The only way to create real deep, meaningful relationships with the people that we love is to be able to say we don't know. And we could be married to somebody for 10 years, for 20 years, for 30 years. We could have, we could have our parents that have been our parents since the day we were born and they've been our parents for 20, 30 years, 40 years. And we say, we don't know. We don't know. We don't understand them 100%. And people are, are complex and people have so many layers to be able to, to learn about them. And the more, the more you're open to be able to see and to be able to understand people, the more you're open to be able to learn people, the more you see that, yeah, there's more that I have to learn. There's more that I have to be able to understand. And I don't know my kids. I don't know the way they operate. Even though I think that I understand everything, I don't know them. And I want to sit with my child to be able to hear my child out, to hear what's really bothering you. Why are you crying now? Why are you happy? What, 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 what excites you? What gets you going? When I'm open to having that relationship with the people around me, to be able to be curious, to be able to say, that I know that as much as I know about the people around me, I know that I know nothing. And I know that it's a learning process. And I know that it's a learning process that's going to take from now until forever to be able to really understand the people around me. So then the relationships that we have are constantly being renewed. They're constantly fresh. They're constantly exciting because it's not stale. I'm not married to the same person that I was married yesterday to. And I was married to a week ago and I was married to a year ago. It's a constant place of, of being able to grow constantly. I heard somebody say one time, and it stuck with me, I heard this years ago. My wife knows I've said this over many times in my house. I've said this over in shul probably. Somebody said that when you look back at your wedding album, when you look back at your wedding album, whether you're married 10 years, 20 years, 15 years, you look back at your wedding album, you should laugh at the pictures that you see in the wedding album. Why should you laugh? And I think I even mentioned this a few months ago. I think I mentioned this a woman's here. He said, why should you laugh at the pictures that you see in your wedding album? Not just because you look so young and you, know, you were so innocent then 20 years ago and you know, it's silly, the, the, you know, the styles that were in style 20 years ago. Yeah, that's part of the laughter that you have. But why do you laugh when you look back at your wedding album? Because you look at the picture of you and your husband standing under the chuppah and you look at the, you look at the picture and you say, we really knew each other. Every couple, and I've heard this from so many couples that are dating, they all say, listen, I know that most engaged couples say, you know, say that they know each other, but we really, we have open communication. We really know each other. We really understand the way, way we work. And we really, we really know. And, 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 you know, especially, oh, I've noticed who I'm referring to, somebody that we know, you know, who's been dating for a little bit longer than normal and says, I need, a, I need I want to date for a little bit longer so that we figure each other out so we don't have to deal with all the questions once we get married. And you look back at that and you look back at the picture of you and your husband standing under the chuppah and you laugh and you say, we thought that we knew each other when we stood under the chuppah and now we're married for five years, 10 years, 20 years, 30 years and we realize how little we really knew about each other. And you look back at a picture of yourselves from 10 years ago and five years ago and you realize we thought we really got each other, we thought we really understood each other and there's so much more that we're learning every day. That's what it means to have a real relationship. The same way us and the Rabbani Shalom, there are questions that we have that we don't have answers but that's what the beauty of the relationship with Hashem is it's the same way in our relationship with the people around us because we recognize that people are people are complex and people have infinite amount of levels of, of of things that are taking place inside of them emotionally and it's a learning process and we're trying to learn our children we're trying to learn our spouses we're trying to learn our friends we're trying to learn our parents it's a learning process and every day that we're open to be able to understand and to learn and we don't say we have you all figured out i know exactly who you are i know exactly we say, yeah, we have questions. We have doubts. There are things that we don't understand about the way you operate. And I'm open to learning. And I'm open to learning and to understanding more and more. That's when laughter comes in. That's when we're able to say that the story is not finished yet. It's not the end of the book. 
It's a constant process of learning. And that's the secret of why we wear costumes on Purim. Costumes on Purim mean that everybody understands that when you see somebody dressed up like a witch, you see somebody dressed up like a policeman, you see somebody dressed up like a football player, you know that that's not them. You know they're not a football player, and you know that they're not a Disney princess, and you know that they're not a fireman, but you understand that it's a costume that they're wearing. Purim teaches us a secret that ultimately throughout the year when we see people, they're also wearing costumes. And even if we think, oh, I know who the person is, this is my spouse, this is my child, this is my friend, I understand who the person is, it's also just a costume. And it's also a lavush. It's also an external layer that we're able to see. And the same way we know that the fireman is not the fireman, there's something, there's somebody hiding underneath the mask of the fireman, and there's somebody hiding underneath that mask of the villain, of, of the monster that's there. We understand that there's somebody underneath. We have to be able to look at the people around us and understand they're also wearing masks, and they're also wearing costumes. And there's also more and more levels of knowledge that we're able to acquire when we get to know them. That Adaloyada, that I don't know the difference between Arahaman and Baruch Marche about the people around me, they're also wearing masks, they're also wearing costumes. I can't either figure those people out. And as soon as I think that I figured them out, figured them out then I'm falling into the trap of a Amalek where I think I have to answer all the questions. When we understand the secret of costumes, we understand that there's more and more knowledge that we're able to gain about the people around us and we're open to be able to learn, we're open to be able to receive, and then we're able to have relationships which are constantly renewed. This is why when it comes to Mishalach Manas, and I'll end with this, when it comes to Mishalach Manas, the purpose of giving Shalach Manas is in order to be marbareis, in order to increase friendship. One would think that the, the, natural, the natural halacha should be, the way the halacha should be set up, is that you give mishalach manas to those people that you're not friends with. Go find five, 10 people that you either have gotten into a fight with or you never had any interaction with and give them mishalach manas. It's not the way you're supposed to give mishalach manas according to the Bach. The Bach writes, who should you give mishalach manas to? Give it to the people that you're best friends with. Give Mishalach Manas to the people that you're best friends. That's the way the Bach Paskins, don't give it to the people that you don't know or to the people that you don't like. Give it to your best friends. Now, what, what purpose is there in that? They're already your friends. You, you already have a relationship with them. Why would you go ahead and give Mishalach Manas to them? They know that you like them. You know that, you know that there's a relationship. What's the purpose in giving Mishalach Manas to somebody that you already have a relationship with? But the answer is everything we've been talking about. When you understand that as much as you know about them, you know nothing. And you're trying to say, I, I, I'm already friends with you, but I want to give you Mishalach Manas because I want to deepen the relationship. I want to be able to recognize that as much as I knew I could be your friend for 10, 20 years, but there's more that I want to be marbareus. I want to constantly increase friendship because I understand that the relationship is just beginning. No matter how long I've been friends with you, that's what Michelle Achmanis is. I'm giving because I realize that I have svekas, I have doubts, and I have questions, and I'm open to learning who the person around me is. And when we're able to live that way with our relationship with Hashem and our relationship with the people around us, both min adam l'makam and min adam l'chavere, being open to having questions, being open to have doubts, being open, being open to understand that as much as we know, we know nothing, we know nothing then you're able to be mavatal, the kayak of a malik. A malik is suffix, a malik is doubt. And we say, yes, we have doubts, but that's not a problem. That's the maila, is that we have doubts, that we're open. Doubts mean that we're open, we have questions. We're constantly looking, we're searching for knowledge. Every, everyone knows that every little child, every little kid is constantly asking why. And my daughter, my three-year-old daughter, Amuna, started doing this. You say something, and at the end of everything that you say, she says, why? Why, why, why? It's the, great, it's the most beautiful thing in the world. It means that she's open to learn. She's open to get knowledge. She's open, she wants more and more knowledge. So everything you say, she'll say, why? Why is the sky blue? Because it's day outside. Well, why, why is it day outside? So, I don't know. I don't have all the answers to all the questions that she has. But that's the beauty of a child. It's an innocence of saying, I don't have the answers. And a child is comfortable saying, why, 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 why? And we have to become comfortable in Purim. Again, without, the, without, the, without getting drunk, without wearing costumes, the idea is an idea which is relevant to every part of Purim, to become comfortable to saying why 
what? We don't know, we don't understand, we don't have all the answers to the people around us, to the relationships that we have already, and ultimately to the relationship that we have, we have with Hashem. And Mitzvah Hashem, when we do this, then we'll be able to wipe out Amalek, like Moshe Rabbeinu. Moshe Rabbeinu wiped out Amalek by holding his hands above his head. He said, I don't have all the answers. Holding up one's hands is surrender. Surrendering means I don't have all the answers. I don't understand everything. I'm surrendering my knowledge to Hashem's knowledge, and that's the way you're able to beat Amalek. Hashem should help us that we should we should be able to laugh. Laugh means that I'm open. I'm, I'm ready for surprises. I'm ready for the book to end and the story to end in a way that I didn't expect. I'm ready, I'm ready for the relationship to take unexpected turns. I'm ready for mitzvahs to take on a new, deeper meaning that I never knew before. And when we're open to that beauty of laughter, we're open to that beauty of knowledge beyond the knowledge that we have, then we'll be able to ultimately wipe out the, wipe out the seed of doubt that Amalek places, places inside of us and ultimately we'll be able to go to that place where we'll wipe out Amalek completely and be able to experience Mashiach which is just knowledge and knowledge and knowledge. It's ain't safe. The Chazal tells us that they just sit and they just get more and more and more knowledge of Hashem and it's an infinite, infinite levels because it never, ever ends. Thank you.